Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. For more information, please call 234-803-481-0869 or for free audio downloads, kindly visit www.davidogaga.org. Praise the Lord. All right. We have to continue with the series we started last week, which is the three specific roles of the Holy Spirit. The three specific roles of the Holy Spirit. I said there are different roles that the Holy Spirit plays. As far as the church and creation is concerned, severally, but there are three specific things that Jesus mentioned as touching the Holy Spirit when He Himself lifts the earth in a physical form. That the Holy Spirit will come, and there are three basic things that the Holy Spirit shall be doing. So, we're talking of these three specific roles of the Holy Spirit. And again, we, we, we have to read our text from John 16. Um, just read very quickly. Let's start reading from verse 4. John 16, verse 4. But these things I've told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. And in this verse, verse 5 says, But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? Verse number 6. It says, But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The next verse. And when he is come, this is the issue. He will reprove the wall of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And what's the next thing? Verse 9. He said, of sin because they believe not in me. And then verse 10 says, of righteousness because I go to my father. Are you see me no more? Amen. Now we want to stop there. Take verse 11. Verse 11 says, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So these are the three major things Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to do. When he leaves the earth. Hallelujah. And he says it's important that this happens. So these are the things we're dealing with. And so we've been dealing primarily first last week. We started with the issue of convincing the world of sin. And we try to establish the fact that there is one sin, like scripture we say, the priest of, I mean, talks about the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. 
not sins of the world, but sin of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. So we find that Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And again, we need to begin to emphasize that, like I was trying to say last week. When we say Jesus was the true Lamb of God, or the sacrifice required and appointed by God, we have to understand that it has to do with the fact that though God gave his laws to Moses, and people were always coming with sacrifices, but the point these sacrifices were coming from them. So when you read the word, the Lamb of God, it's like saying, this is a Lamb God has provided as compared to the other lambs that other people are providing. Now again, get it this way. It's me, I'm coming for sacrifice where to be in the Jewish system. I have to come with my lamb. So that lamb is the lamb of David. Because it has to be offered for me, on my behalf. Are you getting that? It has to be offered in my place. Hallelujah. So, everybody has to provide a lamb. But now, here we see that this lamb belongs to God. So, it's a lamb of God. Is that alright? And so, the point is, God required these lambs as compared to, or this particular lamb, as compared to the daily lambs that were being offered. So, let's quickly look at Exodus 29. Verse 38. Exodus 29, 38. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Now I want you to get that. Day by day, continually. So it's a daily sacrifice. Are you there with me? I know, but, but when you get down the book of Hebrews, he says, he offered once and for all. By implication, his sacrifice put a stop to the daily sacrifices. Meaning, the daily sacrifices could not truly propitiate on behalf of man. God still requires something. Now that sacrifice that God was requiring can only be provided by him. Everything that man was providing could not meet the requirement that God has for those sins to be forgiven. Are you following? Hallelujah. Look at verse 39. It says, The one lamb that shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb that shall offer at the evening. And it's continually. And you know to you need to just try to figure out how cumbersome this exercise was. Every morning you come with a lamb. Morning and evening. Morning and evening. Every day of your life. Man, this was crazy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm talking about? That is why when people want to take you back into religion of so many exercises, I mean, it's unfortunate. Every day, two lambs. One in the morning, one in the evening every day and continually hallelujah okay you turn with me again to exodus 12 verse number 4 
12 verse 4. Exodus 12 verse 4. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the fourth year. Hallelujah. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Amen. You offering this lamb like we find in the book of Exodus now. It has to be offered in such a way that number one. This meal or I mean lamb or sheep that we are bringing for the offering. Which is lamb for the fourth year. Has to be without blemish. It's got to be clean. It's got to be neat. No dark spot. No, I mean, I mean, it's completely pure. Hallelujah. It has to be pure. I want you to understand that. It's not going to be a lamb that has one eye or anything. No defect. The lamb you're going to offer. No defect. And this is very important. Now, if Jesus is the Lamb of God, how we, remember, the Lamb have to be spotless. I tried to establish the fact last week that the baptism of Jesus was a washing of the Lamb before the Lamb is sacrificed. So one of the things that John had to do as a priest is to wash the Lamb of God. And that was the purpose of the baptism. The primary purpose was to introduce Jesus to Israel. That is the Messiah. Two major reasons why Jesus was baptized. One is to introduce him to Israel as the Messiah they were expecting. Number two is to have him washed as the Lamb of God before he sacrificed. The crucifixion is a sacrifice. Now you cannot sacrifice the lamb without it being washed. Are you following that? Okay. So now the lamb is washed. But then who handles the lamb? Again is the priest. So now Jesus by going to the cross. So let's look at this scripture. Mighty 26. What do you think the high priest did? Mighty 26 verse 62. 2662. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answered thou nothing? What is it with this witness against thee? Next verse. 63. But Jesus heard his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I judge thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the cloud of heaven. Hallelujah. 65. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witness? Behold, now you have heard his what? Blasphemy. Hallelujah. What do you think the priests were doing here? The lamb cannot be sacrificed without the proper observation of the priest as to determine whether this lamb is pure, clean, and without blemish. So all the questions that the priests were asking Jesus were to examine him 
whether it has a fault as the Lamb of God. Are you following this? Because the priest must observe the Lamb. Anytime you want to offer the sacrifice, the priest takes care of it, take a look at it, turn it around, look at it, whether it has one eye, whether it's sick, whether it has some problems. The Lamb has to be without blemish. Is that okay? Now Jesus is about going to the cross. So what happened? The priest had to observe the Lamb. Whether there are some defects in this land. Let's get to the next chapter. Chapter 27. Reading from this one. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. The next verse. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to the point of Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty piece of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have seen in that I have betrayed what? The innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to that. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? I have betrayed what? The innocent blood. Meaning, Christ was and is what? Innocent. Indicating to us that there was no spot or blemish in this Lamb of God. Are you following it? Hallelujah. So that's the point. So the continuing morning and evening sacrifice of a lamb under the Jewish law was intended to point out the continued efficacy of the blood of the atonement forever, I mean when it comes to Christ, as being the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Everything was representing Christ. It was pointing to Christ. Praise the living God. That's why I say the Lamb has to be without spot or wrinkle. It has to be without blemish. It has to be clean. And Jesus was found to be innocent. No sin in his life. That's what he's trying to say. He lived among sinners, but there was no sin in his life. So it was a perfect lamb. I've mentioned this to you before. One of the major reasons why Jesus had to come, too, if I may use the word, one is to fulfill God's own law, which man cannot fulfill. And that law is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. By implication, if you want to redeem something that is sold into slavery, you pay the equivalent price for that thing to get back to you. Now, if man must be redeemed, the animal sacrifices just cannot do the magic because the blood of the animals were not the equivalent of the blood of a man. Now, how can a man, therefore, be offered in the sense that the lamb must be without blemish. Therefore, even if you take a man in the street to offer him, he still cannot do the job because the blood of the men are corrupt through Adam. Therefore, for God to have a perfect blood, are you following me? He has to become a man. That is why I have always told you he took his fleshly nature 
identifying with humanity from Mary. But the life in that human nature was the life of God. So Jesus was both God and man. So whenever he says, God is my father, it is easy for us to understand. He's saying the blood that flows in my vein is of the father. Are you following me? Good. Therefore, we can read in the book of Acts, I think 2028. Let's see if that is what we have. We should be able to understand when you go to Acts 2028, when Paul was speaking to the elders in Ephesus, this is what he says. Take it therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made the overseers to feed the church of God. Now you follow this. Which he purchased with what? Whose blood? God's own blood. Did you get this now? So God purchased the church with his own blood. Now how did he do that? He poured the blood into a man and released the man into the hands of the priest. He was crucified and then the sword came, pierced his side. And what came out of the side? Blood and water. Life and water and the word, if you will. Hallelujah. Now sometimes you need to also take in a little bit of a close, closer study. Why is it that it was the side that he pierced? Why is it that the water and the blood flowed from his side? Because that is where the wife is going to come from. He required those two things to clean the wife. Which is going to be by his side. Are uh, you still there with me? <laughs> you remember what he said in my, I mean John 14. He said, I will come again, I will take you to my side. So the church has to be by the side of the Lamb of Jesus. Now for the church that is going to be by the side of Jesus, has to be cleansed with what? The water and the blood. So now he purchased the church with his own blood. Did you get that? Whose blood? God's blood. That is the mystery of Jesus being a man and yet God at the same time. Hallelujah. Why did he have to be a man? Because there is no way you redeem a thing that you don't have identity or association with. He has to be a man to be able to redeem man. Just as Adam, help me Lord, Adam has to be of the art to be able to manage the arts. Are you still there with me? You find that Adam was made of the dust of the ground because he has to relate to creation to be able to manage creation. Glory to God. So when man fell, creation fell because the authority of creation has fallen. And so when man is risen again, creation will do what? Will rise again. So the Bible says creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Are you following me so far? This is the mystery of Jesus being a man. But the life that was in him was the life of God. And the church, which is you and I, was purchased with the very precious blood of God himself. Amen?
And so the value of your life is found in the value of the blood of who? Of Jesus. Because that's your equivalent. That's your equivalent. Why? Because man is made in the image and glory of who? Of God. God is right. So if you really want to find your value, you find your value in who? In Christ. That is why there is nothing like there are many ways to God. No, 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 no. There are no many ways to God. There is but one way to God. And that way is Jesus Christ. He is the door. If any man comes through the shepherd through another door, he's a thief and a robber. He is the door. No other way. No other route. No other belief system. No matter how polished it may look like. Hallelujah. Amen. So the value of our life is found in the value of the blood of Christ. Because Christ actually is our life. Remember that? So if you look at Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. Colossians 3. Or we can just take it from verse 1. Colossians 3. This is what it says. If you have a reason where Christ seek those things which are above where Christ seated on the right hand of God. This is important. He's saying you are risen with him. He's saying you are supposed to be sitting together with him. Say the affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse 3. And he says, For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in who? In God. The verse 4. When Christ, who is what? Our life. Christ is your life. Your life is Christ. So the value of your life is Christ. Hallelujah. So when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him, what? In glory. What it means to say is, your real life is on your inside right now, and there has to be a manifestation of this life flowing out of you. Hallelujah. Are you following me? So get the point right. God purchased the church with his own blood. And the only way by which he can release that blood is to infuse that blood into a man called Jesus Christ. Is that okay? And they released him. And then he was crucified. And out of his side poured forth the water and the blood. Amen? So let's move on talking about the Lamb now. Revelation 5, verse number 6. This is what it says. Let me see if we can truly be able to get this done tonight. Revelation 5 and 6. When, Revelation chapter 5, verse number 6. And I behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth, into all the earth. A lamb as he has been slain. This is mysterious in a way. That is why people who interpret the book of Revelation will have a problem. How can a lamb be slain at the same time standing? Amen. Now we don't need to go into that yet. Let us make progress. But what I'm trying to point out is this. He was identified as a lamb that was slain. 
Is that okay? And you must understand that this land that was slain was actually slain before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. So we find that John pointed to Christ, called him emphatically the Lamb of God. All the lambs which have been heated to offered or before now offered have been proven provided by men, like I said in the beginning. But this one is provided by who? By God. As the only sufficient and available sacrifice of sin for humanity. The truth is, no other religion can offer the sacrifices that Christianity offers. Hallelujah. Our worship is not based on assumption. Our worship is not based on what people said. Our worship is a life that was given. Is that alright? We are not saying one prophet says something. We are talking of a, a man, God, that offered himself. Praise the living God. Now look at 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. 1 Corinthians 5 verse number 7. And this is what it says. For you are therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lamp, as ye are unliving. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Did you get that? Christ, our Passover. Let's go back a little bit to verse number 4 and read down through 5. Let's just look at something there. Verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, where you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 5. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Look at the next thing. And he said, Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaven the whole lamp. Go ahead. For therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lamp as ye are unliving. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for what? For us. Look at the next verse. Verse 7. Therefore let us keep the feast. What feast? The feast of Passover. What is that supposed to mean? Remember, when Israel was to leave Egypt, that is what referred to as the feast of what? Passover. And the lamb was sacrificed on that particular night. So now, when they came out of Egypt, while on the way, and even when they've gotten to Canaan, whatever the case may be, they will always have to sacrifice, I mean, offer this lamb whatever it is now, as it is called, this feast. And they have three major feasts, which was Passover, Pentecost, and what? Tabernacle. Now they will always keep the feast of Passover in remembrance of their deliverance from Egypt. How do we keep our feast? We keep our feast in remembrance of our deliverance from the war. Are you getting that? So it's not a daily ceremony, but now look at what it said, how you keep the feast. Therefore let's keep the feast, not with old living. Neither with the living of malice and wickedness, but with the unliving bread of all sincerity and truth. That's how you keep it. So when you live in this life, you are keeping the feast of what? Of Passover. So it's a lifestyle. It's not a ceremony. It's not something you do one particular day in the calendar in the year. It's a life you live every day. Life of sincerity. Can we take this from the message translation? 
Just this verse, verse number 8, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8. Message translation. So let's live out our part in the feast. Not as raised bread swollen with the yeast of evil, but as flat bread. Simple, genuine, and what? Unpretentious. Hallelujah. So let's look at three things that we can find about this sacrifice of the Lamb. One, it was the Lamb of God. The most excellent, most available, precious. It was the Lamb of God. It cannot be compared to other lambs that were given. The other lambs were the lamb of men. But this one is the lamb of God. Are you getting that? Number two. This lamb made an atonement for sin. What it means is, it carried sin away in reality. Praise the Lord. Are you with me? This lamb carried away sin. As a matter of fact, once and for all. Don't forget. In the early time, it had to be daily sacrifice. But this is one sacrifice once and for all. All sins carried away. Number three. He carried away the sin of the world. Therefore, the order was only on behalf of the Jewish people. What I mean to say is, all the other daily sacrifices were offered on behalf of the Jewish people, but the one that God offered is on behalf of the whole world. Therefore, you have no need of those Jewish sacrifices anymore, because one sacrifice has been offered. You know, two days ago, I was almost getting hot in my spirit. But I have to allow the spirit to help me out. Because here was somebody that I know some years back. It's more or less a minister of the gospel. Now he's writing to me. And he's trying to talk to me to begin to... I don't think he wanted me to speak Judaism or Jewish language or something. But trying to pick the picture, calling Jesus Yeshua, Yahweh, you know, all those kind of funny things. As if that is what brings God's glory. Then I told him, listen man, you got something wrong. When God created a nation, the Bible says he gave them all their boundaries of all nations. It is God that gave us our languages. You, you a Jewish man will say Yeshua or Yahweh. I call him Ogene and he still answers. You don't have to force me to speak Jews for God to answer me. No, God gave me my language. Chineke is God's name in Hebrew. You call him Chineke, we answer you. You don't have to begin to twine your tongue, Yeshua, Makayishki, and whatever. What's that got to do with me? I'm not a Jewish man. I'm a Christian. Born of the Spirit of God. Are you following what I'm talking about? They are watching God or worship Him in spirit and in truth, not in names. You understand that? They were doing all these daily sacrifices every day, but we did it once. God did it for us once. We only need to accept what He has done, and it is done. So don't start writing to me and you talking about Yeshua, Amayeshi, uh, Kamayakash. What's wrong with you, man? Forget that. 
talk to me in the language that I can understand. I told him, I said, listen, you are sounding to me right now like a barbarian. That's what the scripture says. Because I don't understand what you are saying. You talk to me. Speak the English that both of us can communicate with. You are an American. Which one is Yeshua Makayishi? What is your problem? And he wrote back and said, David, oh, thank you so much. I'm glad I've heard from you for some time. And you have heard from you. I said, you keep hearing from me. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? John 3 verse 19. Let's see where we go from here. Look at that. And this is the condemnation. No, message translation, I want English. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were what? Evil. Verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hated the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be what? Reproved. Now get the point. What we read in John 16 said, the Holy Spirit will reprove the world. That's why I have to read this. Reprove the world. That word reprove actually means to confute, to admonish, hallelujah, to convict and to convince, to tell a fault, to rebuke, to reprove. Now, take it from the message. Just verse 20. Message translation. Everyone who makes a... What am I saying? Is that what I ask you to put on the board for me now? Okay, John 3, let's see. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil addicted to denial and illusion. He has got light and won't come near it fearing a painful what? Exposure. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's take it from verse 19. John 3, 19. This is a crisis we are in. So it's a crisis. This is a crisis we are in. God's light streamed into the world. But men and women everywhere ran for darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in doing what? In pleasing God. That's what it means. So when you come into Christ, you're pleasing God. You're going away from Christ, you're displeasing God. So every ceremony or offering you want to put before God without Christ is still displeasing to God. Did you get that? Praise the living God. Are you following me? I want you to catch it because it's very important. Very important. Look at verse 21. But anyone walking and living in truth and reality where comes God lights so the work can be seen for the good work it is. Hallelujah. Amen. So when we talk about reproving the world when he said the Holy Spirit will reprove the world it really means it will demonstrate these matters so clearly as to leave no doubt in the mind of those who are simple of heart, humble enough, meek enough to receive instruction so that they will fully come to understand and be able to come to that place where 
they will say, of a truth, what the Spirit is saying is the truth. This is my life. Remember, only the humble are taught by the Holy Spirit. Are you there with me? Only the simple are the people that are taught by the Holy Spirit. He said they will convict the world of sin. Now, again I tried to explain last week, the word world here is not talking about the terrain. It's speaking about the people. Remember that? So the Jewish nation, first of all, was what is referred to here as the world. Remember he said, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Is that okay? So, we first of all have the Jewish people, then the Gentile world, that came in as the fullness. So verse 8 of John 16 again, we says, He will reprove the world. Like I said, the word translated means, reprove here is talking about like an argument. It's like a debate. It's like you're trying to reason with somebody to prove a point to the person that what he's doing is an error. Is that alright? It means to persuade someone to do a thing by presenting reasonings. It's like you see, the Bible made us to understand that Paul was reasoning with the people daily. Is that okay? That is a reproving. Reproving doesn't mean you're making people sad. Reproving doesn't mean you're rebuking them all the time. Reproving means you're trying to present reasons why what they are doing is wrong. You're convincing them. So the Holy Spirit will reprove the world means the Holy Spirit will be able to intelligently reason with you why the life you are living is not the right life. Hallelujah. It means to convince of anything and particularly to convince of crime. This is its meaning here. We mean to say the Holy Spirit will convince the world by telling the world the life you are living is criminal in nature as opposed to the life of God. Amen? Okay. In other words, we apply the truth of God to men's own mind as to convince them by fair and sufficient argument that they are sinners and cause them to do what? To feel this. This is the nature of what convention means in this particular passage. Now let me give you a simple illustration on this. How the Holy Spirit convicted people in the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's just take it from verse 36. Now remember Peter was speaking on this particular day. As after the Holy Spirit has come. We're going to read it up to verse 38. Let's just take this. Therefore let all, now Peter is speaking here. Therefore let all the hearts of Israel know shortly that God had made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and who? And Christ. Next verse says, Now when they heard this, they were did what? Pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Can you get this now? The Holy Spirit have convicted them. And they are not saying, what shall we do? Look at the next verse. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remnant of sins, and you shall receive the what? 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? That's conviction. Men and brethren, what shall we do? So now it takes the Holy Spirit to convince us that the life we are living is wrong. And normally, when that conviction comes, there is always what? Repentance. Hallelujah. Amen? So why is the Holy Spirit reproving the world of sin? Why is the Holy Spirit trying to convince the world of their sin? Not sins, sin. Get it right? Back again to John 16 verse 9. Or oh, we take it from 8 again to 9. John 16, 8 to 9. And when he, the Holy Spirit is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse number 9. Of sin because I believe not what's on me. <laughs> Are you sitting there with me now? Now, take it from the message translation. When it comes, we expose the error of the godless world's view of sin. The view of sin that the world has is going to convince them what truly sin is. It's of righteousness or judgment. Look at verse number 9. He will show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. <laughs> Are you see that? Yesterday I saw a picture on the internet. Thousand and one persons being baptized into the faith who were formerly Muslims. Thousand. You need to see the river. Just got into baptism to come into the Lord who were Muslims. Their refusal, I want you to understand this, to believe in me is what? Their basic sin. Primary sin is refusing to believe in who? In Jesus Christ. So this is what the Holy Spirit does. He convinces the world that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And by the time you come to that realization and you begin to receive Christ into your life, your sins are not only forgiven, you move to the point where you begin to tell you what true righteousness really is. Hallelujah. He said that the Holy Spirit will do this because they believe not in me. Primarily, he came into the world, men were supposed to believe into him. Now people will not believe into him. But that when the Holy Spirit comes, begin to tell people you need to believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. That he came and he paid the price and the old ultimate of what sacrifice is supposed to be. Hallelujah. Let's read it from the Living Bible if you have it. John 16, 8 and 9, Living Bible. Hallelujah. And when he comes, he will convince the world of his sin. And of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Verse 9. The one sin is that he refuses to believe in me. Simple. <laughs> Are you still there with me? The one sin till tomorrow is that he refuses to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. That's the point. But the Holy Spirit now will make people come to that place of believing. If only thou can confess that Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved. Are you still there with me? 
So that conviction is what the Holy Spirit does. Now listen, for you, it's not doing that to you anymore because you already have believed. So the Holy Spirit will not convince you of sin. Are you following this? Because you're already a believer. So next time we're going to look at what the Holy Spirit convinces you of. For the world is to make them believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He's to make the Jews understand that is the only way to the Father. That all of those sacrifices have come to an end and that He came to fulfill those sacrifices as the ultimate to which those sacrifices were pointing into or pointing towards. That's for the Jews. For the world, we have come to believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God. I gave you a story here some time ago. I say this in a close. When I came to the faith, around 19... 89, 90, I had an issue. I was going to church. I was, I was already preaching. But I wasn't a minister, but I was working. And now, I always have this thought in my mind. It's just like I always try to reason sometimes. How did you come to be called a sinner in the first place? You don't just know... You just came into the world and people say you are a sinner because Adam sinned. You were not there when Adam sinned. Is that okay? But we believe that. Now, but it was difficult for me to believe that there was actually somebody who lived 2,000 years ago and his name was Jesus. And that he died because of me. I had a struggle for that conviction. Now this is what the father did one day. In an afternoon I was just relaxing. I came from work and I was resting. All of a sudden, I fell into a trance. Because I wasn't quite sleeping. But now I saw this picture playing before me. Here was a man being beaten. And then they were taking him through very bad forests and valleys and mountains. Everywhere, the road was not smooth. And he was carrying this heavy cross. And they would hit him. And anytime they hit the man, I would feel the pain. Anywhere they hit him. If they hit him on the leg, I will feel pains on my leg. They hit him on the head, I will feel pains on my head. He was just going on like that. Blood was oozing out of his body. I was literally feeling the pains. Until it got a point, I realized I was crying because of the pains. And then an elderly woman stepped out from one corner and I couldn't really observe where it was coming from. But he just came to me and said, you don't have reason to doubt what happened. You are supposed to help that man carry the cross. Do you hear me? And I came out of the trance. And I knelt and I said, I'm sorry, Lord. By the time that happened, I found that the whole of my pillow was drenched with tears. I was crying. Anytime they beat him, I was feeling the pain. The spirit just needed to convince me that Jesus truly lived and died. That's why you can't take that conviction from me. Are you still there with me? Hallelujah. He said, Paul will say something. He said, have I not seen Jesus? Am I not an apostle? And one of the signs of an apostle is to encounter Jesus. You understand what I'm talking about? Because you have to have that conviction. It's not a story. For me, it's no longer a story. It's not something that people talked about. I know it happened because he revealed himself to me in that dimension. Did you understand this? So you convinced the world, the Holy Spirit convinced the world that Jesus truly lived and he died 
for the sins of the whole world. And when that happens, and those who come to that acceptance and I believe, what's the next thing that happened? They are saved. Saved from what? Let's say the scripture, and we are done for tonight. Galatians chapter 4. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4 very quickly. Look at verse 1. Galatians chapter 4. Now I say that the air has long... Am I sick? Did I say Galatians 4? Go to Galatians... Um, let's look at 3. It's not 4. That's what I'm looking for. Let's look at 3. Let's look at 3 very quickly. Let me see if that's what I want. Okay. He's talking about to the Galatians. Go to chapter 1. Let me see what I have there. But what I'm actually looking for is... Um, Okay, Paul, an apostle of men, another of man, by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Go ahead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Go ahead. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Verse 4. Who, this is what I'm looking for, gave himself for what? Our sins, that he might deliver us from what? This present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. Can we take this from the message translation? Just verse 4. We know the meaning of those words because Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world we are in by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. God's plan is that we all experience that word, that rescue. So what it did was a rescue operation. Is that okay? It's the same thing he did to them when they were in Egypt. He rescued them. Even so, he has rescued us from this present evil world. Whatever thing that is it. So, though we are in the world, we are not of this world. Praise the living God. And in so saying, I declare to you tonight, whatever is affecting the world will not affect you. Whatever is a problem in the world will not be your problem. Because you have been rescued from the world. See, you need to get this right. What was happening to the Egyptians was not happening to the Israelites. Because they were out of Egypt. Are you sitting there with me? Jesus came to rescue us. We have to believe that our rescue operation took place some 2,000 years ago. We are not part of the world. Whatever is happening in the world will not be part of our problem. We are not supposed to be partakers of what is going on in the world. Why? Because we have been rescued from it. Are you sitting there with me? If there is a boat that capsized in the river and divers came in to take people out of the river, if they have taken them out of the river, will they still drown in the sea? No. Therefore, you have been rescued. So whatever thing is going on in the world, even if the world is getting crazy, it's not going to be part of you. It can't be part of you because you have been rescued by the blood of Jesus. God bless you and I'll see you next week. Hallelujah. Come on, make it bigger for Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Have you been blessed?